0: All right, Boca Podcast listeners, we're back for yet another episode, and we are joined by a brand new guest, Heather Anderson. Heather, thank you so much for doing the podcast.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: And we are going to get into a a topic that, I don't know, it feels like maybe lately I've said this a, a decent amount, but that we have yet to cover in a lot of detail, and that is about incorporating film in your photography. And uh, it's a loaded topic, I realize, but we're going to get to that in some detail here in just a few minutes. Uh, I've been starting off the podcast or begun the podcast the last couple of episodes or so with a question that we've been asking for a while here at the the podcast actually about brand position. And I'm curious, actually, you're a wedding photographer. There are a lot of wedding photographers. Um, Let's see, what market are you based in currently?
1: I'm in Southern California.
0: Okay. Especially in Southern California, uh, yep. there are a lot of wedding photographers. So of course, positioning yourself against the, the so-called competition, even if they're not actually seen as competition, they are still photographers that are potentially going to take business. How do you set yourself apart is the big question. Uh, or more specifically, like we ask here on the, on the podcast, what is your photography business's brand position, the unique selling point? You know, when, when somebody hears your business's name, what do they think about?
1: Yeah, so that's where film plays a big part for me is that I use both film and digital cameras to provide the best medium for my clients. And I think that's able to offer something that other photographers sometimes can't. And it gives them a different aesthetic than you know just a digital shooter can offer.
0: Yeah. And on on your homepage, and by the way, for those of you listening in, Heatherandersonphoto.com, just like it sounds beautiful, beautiful site. And on the homepage it says right up front, hello destination film wedding photographer for the romantic and adventurous couple. Uh, So you make it very obvious up front that you are a film shooter. And how, I mean, how unique is it these days? Because I know when I, when I started in wedding photography, I started in film. So I was shooting 35. I mixed in some medium format as well. And and of course that kind of slowly went away or even quickly, I guess, depending on how you look at it. And now it is, it's something that is a little bit more unusual, but like what percentage of the photographers in your area would you say shoot film?
1: And there's not a lot of us. I know that there's, you know, a handful. There's three of us um, in my area that are known film shooters. Okay, so that's not a lot considering how many photographers are in the area.
0: That, that's actually, yeah, that's interesting. And and so I, there is an opportunity there, I guess, to, to truly set yourself apart. How do you effectively communicate that though to a non artist or non photographer? Like, if you're using this as a selling point, aside from just saying that you're a film photographer on your website, how do you? convey the significance of the fact that you are a film photographer and that that it's unusual?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of my clients who come to me are very artistic and usually somewhat in some kind of industry and they understand the value of film. I think that's kind of what draws them into me in the first place. So I don't have to sell it too often, but every once in a while I do get a client that maybe is confused. They think film means video. And so they'll think, Oh, you do, you know, photography on video. And then I'll have to explain the difference. And I would say, then what I tell them is for me, for shooting film for them, what they're going to get out of it is their day is going to look very authentic to how it looks. So in 20 years, when they look back at their photos, the aesthetic of film is just real true to life. Like what you see with your eye is what you get and there's not, you know, you're not putting presets or overlays on it. And there's not a lot of fashion and trends that come in and out with that That's like, true. can happen with digital. And so yeah. I tell them, you know, 20 years from now, when you look back at your wedding photos, they're not going to be dated and you won't know like, Oh dang, there was that yellow filter on everything. <laughs> it's going to look like their day looked.
0: Yes. I, we, we've talked about this a good bit on the podcast at this point, but the, the reality of trends is not something that I think newer photographers really think a whole lot about. Uh, Because I I remember there was a time, and I think I've probably told this story on multiple occasions now in the podcast, but there was a time when I went in to look at a sample engagement album that I had on the table where clients would come and sit and meet with me. And I, I opened the book and I'm looking at, an image, and just thinking, like, what in the world was I thinking when I applied <laughs> this this weird filter, you know, to to the image? At the time, it was it was a Lomo effect. Um, I'm, Lomo cameras, film cameras. Um, this effect was trying to to emulate that or simulate that, and and so it, it was just, at least in hindsight, anyway, very eye opening to realize, okay, this is only you know, this only took a year or two or whatever for this to happen for us to go from this thing this this look being popular to now just seeming really really weird. Fast forward that, you know, five years, 10 years, what what is it going to be like for a client to get that finished product? They may be stoked on it at the moment, but in five or 10 years, they're going to look at those images and and think, what in the world was my photographer thinking? Right, Uh, It's It's really important to provide a classic finished product. and
1: Yeah, especially in wedding photography. I feel like, you know, people want things to be very classic and timeless and be able to look back at it for generations to come and not have it be dated.
0: It's true. I guess the question there, the, the, just the innate question is how, how do you then, I mean, really, this is a, another topic for another podcast episode, but how do you, if you're not going to rely on a Lightroom preset, let's just say, to add some fancy look to an image that happens to be trendy in the moment, then how do you set your imagery apart?
1: So I feel like just the fact that the imagery is timeless and classic that's one thing that sets it apart hmm. it's not following all the trends and then secondly i of course your composition and posing and the you know just the feel that you are creating from the image with your clients and telling their story um hopefully is going to set you apart as well
0: yeah i you know i think about a couple of elements that are particularly important to me at light and emotion like if i'm effectively Capturing those two elements in a photograph, and I'm providing through that, I, I guess, that representation of of my eye, my artistry. Um, I'm providing a great product for my client. I'm I'm happy because, of course, the reality is, like most clients aren't spending hours and hours and hours and hours. Comparing photographers' work, right? They might do so initially when they're looking for a photographer, but the way that. I
1: think they might do that on Instagram for a while. (laughs)
0: Initially, sure. But I'm I'm comparing that. I'm thinking about the difference between the way that they would look at photography and then the way that photographers do, where they're constantly, you know, for years on end looking at photographers' work and comparing, contrasting, and try to set themselves apart. We look at photography and art in a different way than the average client does
1: oh absolutely i mean i feel like when i sit down with other photographers and talk um because i mentor a lot of photographers we dive so far in and just really pick every little piece apart and then it's funny because my clients will come back and they'll love a photo that i maybe thought oh gosh i wish my composition was a little different on that but it's because of the emotion in the moment that you captured that's what really matters to them
0: yep yeah, I, I, and I know we can go down a deep, dark hole this this conversation around style and whether or not it, it actually holds that much significance. But I think if we focus on providing an image that, as you say, captures the moment, that's lit well, that hopefully has also captured emotion and is composed even you know halfway decently, and, and you provide a good experience to go along with that, your client's going to be stoked. And and yeah. um, all this emphasis that we put on style, especially editing style, uh, maybe not I don't know, in some cases maybe time wasted because the reality is, as you said, we're gonna look at that imagery in, in a few years and question whether or not this is something that well, at least I'm I'm speaking from my own experience. I look at my work and I'm questioning what I was thinking.
1: Yeah. I think we all do that, right? Like you go back, you're like, wow, what was I thinking? It was just a year ago.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, let's, um, we can move on from this, but I think that the lesson learned is to keep it simple. And, um, and, and I love that you're doing something different, that you're taking the route of being a film photographer. And we're going to get into how you go about that process here in just a little bit, but talk to us a little bit about what you've learned in business. How long have you been in business at this point?
1: So I started my photography business officially 10 years ago, um, but I did all families up until about four years ago. And I switched over into weddings. That was primarily based on just my family situation at the time. I had young kids and it just worked for me to do families. And I knew taking on weddings would be like a whole nother beast. As my kids have been older, I felt like I could take on weddings. So I switched over about four years ago.
0: Okay. But you said 10 years then altogether? Yeah. That, that's a significant amount of time and, and major props to you for being able to create a business that has lasted that long. I think that's really, really great. Thanks. What is, what is one of the biggest lessons that you've learned through this process of being a business owner? Like if you had 15 seconds to share a piece of advice with a fellow photographer, what would that thing be?
1: I would say be of service, not only to your clients, but to other vendors and to other photographers. Hmm. Just being of service.
0: And, and I love the simplicity of that. And, you know, I, I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but we don't hear that word serve or service very often um, in the context, at least of photography. There's all this focus on art and style and, and technique and so forth. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if if we don't provide a really incredible experience, then we're short selling the client ourselves and ultimately our brand and, and potentially the longevity of our brand. But innate yeah. to a good experience is a focus on service, actually, like truly being focused on taking care of the client, right?
1: Yeah, I agree. Kind of going back to that point, you said the experience you were when we were talking about imagery, you said, you know, just k- getting that experience and capturing that. And I think creating an experience for your clients where they're comfortable and happy and enjoying whether it be their engagement session or their anniversary session or their wedding day you know you're keeping them not stressed and just enjoying the moment and present in that moment mm. then you're going to capture really emotional photos that they're going to be able to relate to and think back and think oh my gosh i had so much fun when i was in that moment and that's what that looking at that imagery is going to invoke in them is remembering you know the experience you provided so being a service to them is huge and also It creates that relationship with them. So early on, I always ask like, what can I do? and What can I help you with wedding planning? I mean, these clients are people who are, they don't live in the wedding industry the way that we do. They're not at weddings every weekend. And so they have lots of questions for a lot of them. It's their first time doing this. And so just being able to help answer questions and kind of take them through, you know, how it's going to look. And it's a, it's almost like a full-time job planning a wedding these days. So any help you can provide them, I think they really appreciate. And then they feel more connected to you. And then they're that is going to come out in photos because they're going to feel like you're a friend instead of just like someone behind a camera.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, if the focus is truly on how, like the, the question that you're constantly asking yourself is how can I better take care of this person? That is going to translate to an amazing experience. And, you know, we, we, again, talking about this idea of differentiation, it's, it's pretty easy these days with the technology that we have to take a, a great picture, even pretty easily, whether it's with their phone or an SLR or some type of film camera. And, you know, if that is the case, then the question again becomes, how do I differentiate myself? And part of that can be through the, the products that we sell and, and the type of photography that we offer. And of course, in your case, film photography being an experience in and of itself. But ultimately, if we truly care about an individual, it's not just something that we say for the sake of marketing, but we actually care about an individual client or a couple or otherwise then that is going to translate to the experience that they have and they're not going to be able to help themselves but to to talk positively about your brand and it, it, you'll be able to set yourself apart through creating that experience
1: yeah absolutely i think that's for sure the biggest thing that's helped my business and i can say i run into people now and then back from when i was a family photographer that'll come up to me give me a big hug and be like oh my gosh i still love my photos and now my kids off at college and they're hanging on my wall and it means so much to me and you know, just having that constant relationship. And I have couples that I'm still DM me on Instagram all the time that I shot their wedding years ago at this point, you know, so it's great to have those relationships. It benefits, you know, my life and enriches my life and hopefully enriches theirs as well.
0: That's really, really great. And by the way, you mentioned Instagram, um, Heather Anderson photography. For those of you listening in, you can check Heather's account, uh, beautiful account by the way out on, on uh, Instagram. And we'll link to both that and Heather's website in the show notes. If you go to bokehpodcast.com, B-O-K-E-H, you'll see the resources and links from today's episode there. Haley has been upping the ante further with the amount of content that she's putting in these show notes. So make sure you take advantage, podcast.com. As a business owner, Heather, and especially as you pointed out to me before we, we started recording, actually, a mother of two kids, you've got your hands full, to say the least. How do you create time for yourself to both focus on relationships as well as to focus on things that will actually grow your business. Do you have particular techniques, tips, tricks um, to create that space for yourself?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a juggle and a balance. And actually, I have three kids.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) No,
1: that's fine. But I thought I should... I should correct that just in case they listen. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) I'm so sorry, Um, kids.
1: (laughs) No, that's fine. So, yeah, I have a 17-year-old, a 14-year-old, and an 11-year-old. And they're all very involved in their own activities, which I support. Um, And then, of course, just running the day-to-day household and on top of that, running my own business. So what I learned quickly is... I had to fill up my cup first before I could pour into anyone else. And so I take the first part of my day after I get the kids off to school, the first thing I do is I spend time for me. And that usually is some kind of workout, whether it be yoga or spin or lifting or running or hitting the rock gym, just something where I can zone out and completely focus physically on myself. And then um, I usually take some time after that to meditate and then I'll jump into my work day. And I think that has created a lot of space for me to be able to give back to my family and to my clients because I need to take care of myself first.
0: We haven't talked about meditation for a little while on the podcast. Do you mind sharing the, the the technique that you use? I know there's so many different ways to go about that process, but is there one that you found particularly effective?
1: So meditation is really difficult for me. I just started it about a year ago. Sitting still is not easy for me. <laughs> and, and so I do more of a, a guided meditation and okay. I use this beautiful, I think because I'm so visual, I just love it. It's called the wild unknown animal spirit. And there are these beautiful deck of cards and you just kind of flip through them and you pick one for the day and then it has just kind of some inspiration. And then I just think about that inspiration and kind of how that could help me guide through my day. That helps me kind of more guided meditation. Plus I have something visual to go along with it, which is pleasing for me.
0: Yeah, for sure. So do you, you look at that card, you get the inspiration, you see the image, and then are you like in a quiet room, close your eyes and focus on that? Or do you keep your eyes open the whole time? What does it look like?
1: Usually after I finish looking at the card and kind of reading the inspiration, a lot of times I will just kind of close my eyes and, you know, either in Shavasana or just kind of in an upright and seated position, yeah. just kind of take some time to meditate and think of, and ponder on it. And some days it's longer and some days it's shorter, just kind of depending on how I feel that day.
0: That's really wonderful. I, I've, I've found significant benefit from meditation. And it can be a bit of a challenge, I guess, to kind of learn the process and the technique, and it can look different for different people. But I love that you're doing that. I love that you found a way, certainly that works for you, and that you're making it a part of your life. And there are, I know that there are various apps, too. You talk about guided meditation um, that that have been particularly helpful to people if they're not used to the concept, the idea, or they find their mind wandering just too much, and it would be helpful to have that audio. And you can do a quick search in the app store. I know that we've we've linked to, I think, at least one or two in the past. Maybe a Haley can can put those in the show notes for us uh, over at BookaPodcast dot But thanks so much for for sharing all of that. Talk to us a little bit about reading. Um, whether it's audio books or, or physical books or on your Kindle or otherwise, what's one of the most impactful business or self-help books that you've read?
1: So I do audiobooks when I'm driving to my shoots because a lot of times I have long drives. And the one that I've been listening to that I just love is A New Earth, Awakening Your Life's Purpose okay. by Eckhart-, Eckhart Tolle. Yes, yes. So I really like that one. It just it really focuses on the now and being present and being mindful which is so helpful not only in life, but also when you're trying to shoot at a hectic, busy wedding day and you just need to focus and be mindful in that moment and capture what's going on with the bride and groom.
0: And have you listened or have you listened to or read uh, his books before? Was this the first for you?
1: This is the first, yeah. Okay.
0: And is this, did you hear about it from somebody else or how did you find, like how did you land on this particular book?
1: So along with listening to your podcast all the time, I like to follow Oprah's podcast and she did like, a 10, every Monday for 10 Mondays, she broke this book down and it was amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: It reminds me, actually. So there's a, there's a book that I've uh, mentioned a number of times on the podcast now that I'm such a huge fan of called The Untethered Soul by a mm. guy named Michael Singer. And if you haven't read this before, I'm going to have to get you a copy, but uh, she also interviewed Michael uh, previously. And I don't know if it, I can't remember if she did it for the podcast or one of the videos that she created.
1: Oh, definitely have to look that up.
0: Yeah. And I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to get you a copy. It's really, really lovely. And for those of you who are curious about meditation and how to go about that process and almost to get in the right mindset for it, this is a really, really powerful book. I can't recommend enough. We'll also link to that uh, in the show notes. Uh, talk to us about gear. This is, I know, kind of a switch in, in topics, but What's one of the most unusual things that you might have in your camera bag? And this doesn't have to specifically be camera gear per se, but the most unusual item, if you will, that enables you to be a better photographer.
1: Okay. So about a year and a half ago or so, I purchased this $12 apron on Amazon and it's my favorite thing. Like if it <laughs> if it doesn't end up in my camera bag, I'm very distraught. Really? <laughs> So it's just a little apron that I tie on at wedding days or whenever I'm shooting and it, I I'm able to put my film my extra cards and things in there So they're on me all day So I don't have to worry about like if they get lost or if I need something they're right there Plus I tend to lose lens caps like crazy And so if I just put them in the apron they never get lost or it has three little pockets So when is film and cards the others lens caps and then the last pocket I use for my couples and i'll put things in there like A little pack of nuts because I find that grooms get really grumpy if they don't eat. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So sometimes I'll just have like a little pack of nuts in there for the grooms or a granola bar. And then I'll have, you know, um, a little bit of chapstick or whatever for the brides, whatever they might need. Sometimes I have safety pins in there, just different things I find that they need throughout the day. So I love having my apron because it makes it so I always have exactly what I need on me.
0: That's so funny. I, so I know this is ridiculous, but the first thing that, that came to mind when you said apron is like, I'm thinking of one of those like aprons that you would wear in the kitchen, you know, like almost <laughs> Betty Crocker with the, the checkered uh, pattern on it or whatever. But like you're talking about a, a work apron of sorts. Is there, is it a particular brand?
1: I just, you know, I think it's by Amazon. Like, you know how they have their own brand. I think it's just by them. And okay. it was seriously the cheapest, easiest thing I ever bought, but I absolutely love it.
0: That's really, that I don't think I've ever heard of or seen a photographer use an apron specifically, but we'll have to find one and link to it in the show notes as well. For those of you who are curious, I think that's great. I mean, th- these these are the kind of fun things that, that you learn from conversation sometimes that you never know what, what it might do to impact the way that you work on a day-to-day basis at, at work apron. That might be something that uh, some of our <laughs> listeners might have to try out. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, it definitely cuts down on my stress because I feel like I'm always losing things otherwise.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, there is something to be said for having easy access to those those few things that can make a, a significant impact. I mean, even you talk about food, and it's funny. There have been um, a number of guests now that have mentioned the significance of of bringing food or bringing snacks along. Um, my former business partner would bring uh, gummy bears, and that was a thing too—to like give gummy bears to the wedding coordinator or to the um, to one of the clients or otherwise. It's yeah, funny how a that. Sugar rush. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, it can make a difference. That's that's great. That's great. Well, let's talk about film i want to to share with our listeners about what you know just what it means ultimately to incorporate film into their photography and maybe how to go about that process but there is something that you said on your site that uh, i want to read for our listeners you said i specialize in film photography i love the feeling and aesthetic film image provokes Film has pushed me creatively to become a more thoughtful and artful photographer. Shooting in film really forces me to slow down and conceptualize the image before clicking the shutter. This allows me to offer my clients artful and timeless imagery of their wedding day. I'm curious if you can explain a little bit about what you meant when you said conceptualizing or slowing down to conceptualize the image. What does that look or sound like internally? What's going through your mind?
1: Yeah. So absolutely. So kind of like you were talking about before how you had started in film that it quickly went to digital. Yeah. I had a similar experience. Um, My first camera was just an SLR. It was 35 millimeter. I think it was like a Rebel Canon. Yes. And I remember I just got it to play around with my kids and it slowed down time for me. Like I remember just taking so much time to thoughtfully think about the image and see what my kids were doing. And when I saw my kids through my lens, I felt like it was a totally different experience, which is what made me fall in love with photography in the first place. And then quickly it switched to digital. And I remember having to go take some night classes and figure out, digital photography and just this whirlwind. Um, And I got really caught up in that. And then I found film again a couple of years ago. Hmm. And I feel like when I found film again, It reminded me the reason I love photography so much and how it does slow you down. So when I'm shooting digital, I feel like you can shoot really quickly and you can just kind of spray that shutter and just go for it, right? It's true. Um, But with film, you're not really going to do that. First of all, it would cost you a fortune. (laughs) (laughs) It's Um, also
0: true. Yeah. When I shot my first wedding, actually, I shot it for 350 bucks and I think I spent at least 250 just on developing the the 10 rolls of film, 12 (laughs) rolls of film or whatever. It gets expensive.
1: Right, right. So for that purpose, in and of itself, you're going to slow down. But also, it's just I I notice everything in the the frame because I know mm-hmm. I'm going to have one shot to get this image. So you know, when I'm looking at my couple or whatever, I might notice if their hand looks a little awkward, or if a flower's off, or if the ring's crooked. And those are things that I take time to really pay attention to notice. Where I think before with digital, I would just shoot, 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 kind of look down at my camera and then think, oh, her ring's cr- crooked, and then fix it, and then shoot, shoot, shoot. And this, um, you just have to really slow down and be in the moment and be present and notice every detail that's in your frame. So conceptualizing that before you hit the shutter. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, 100%. I, I have a, and I've, I've told this story on the podcast before, but I have a, a Yashica twin lens reflex camera. It's, it's fully manual, medium format um, film camera. And there is, there's something about setting that camera up on the tripod and having to go through the process of setting up a shot, everything manually—shutter, f-stop—you know the the little shutter release, or I have a little cord that I can hook up to it, so it's that you know old school shutter release um, cable. And and taking the time to compose it and manually focus it and make sure everything is sharp—it's uh, it is almost meditative in nature. And I think it's yeah. a really beautiful experience to be able to to take your time. Now, granted, on a wedding day, maybe you can't go as slow as you might like, but it does force you, the point that you make about kind of it forcing you to take your time to think about composition more intentionally, uh, I think is really, really interesting. Does it slow you down significantly on the wedding day to be shooting film and to do exactly what you're just talking about?
1: No, I don't think it slows me down in a negative way. I think it slows me down just enough to really be present and be able to connect with my couple and be there and talking to them and focusing on them and setting up really unique shots for them. And I think they feel that attention. Um, But I do, my second shooter shoots all digital. And so I know that um, I can move as quickly as I need to and just get the main shots that I need on film and she's going to get all the in-between moments on digital. So it doesn't really slow me down because I have that backup. Does that make sense?
0: It does. Yeah. So are you shooting film all day and then you have a second who's shooting digital?
1: So it depends. I have a couple different packages. The way I break it down, it costs quite a bit to shoot a whole wedding on film. Yeah. So then that ups the the prices for the clients, obviously. Sure. So I have a package where I shoot percentages of film and digital, and that's my hybrid package. And then I have a package where I shoot all film and my second shooter is the digital backups.
0: Okay. Okay. That makes sense. I, and I mean, it goes, it almost goes without saying, but I think it needs to be, at least we need to put the reminder out there, which is do consider your cost and not just physical, you know, cost of, in this case, development of film, but um, you know, when we talk about the significance of outsourcing editing, there's that the time cost involved in whether it's editing or really any element of your workflow is quite significant. That has to be considered as well. But definitely consider any and all costs involved. in w- when you're putting together those packages, so you're not losing money, there's opportunity to actually make more there if you're approaching that intelligently and with a critical mind. I, I'm curious what Film camera you're actually shooting with? I mentioned the Yashica earlier. I also have a Russian panoramic camera that shoots 35. Um, I started on a Nikon F100 that was shooting 35. I've had one or two other medium format cameras, but like, what what are you currently shooting with?
1: So my medium format is a Mamiya Six Forty Five, yeah, um, which isn't real popular in the industry. Most people like contacts or Pentax. But um, I rented both cameras before, or all three cameras before choosing which one I was going to purchase. And for me, I just liked the feel of the Mamiya. It felt really good in my hand, and I just felt like I could work with it really well. So I went that route. Um, and then for my 35, it's actually my my very first SLR 35 Canon Rebel. That's what I use.
0: That's awesome, and that just goes to show something that we've said here on the podcast many times, probably at this point, that it's really not about having quote fancy equipment so much as just understanding how to use it. Right.
1: Right. Yeah, I agree because the Mamiya is quite a bit um, less expensive than, say, the contacts, and I don't feel like it matters too much. I mean, yeah, your gear can maybe make it. I mean, those Zeiss lenses are really nice, but if you know what you're doing, pretty much you can shoot a beautiful photo on an iPhone, right?
0: Hundred percent, hundred percent. And I was even thinking more specifically about your your Canon camera, but understanding how to how to set the camera up or its tendencies and how to use it effectively, and, and you can stick a even you know like a fifty millimeter one eight lens. Which is relatively inexpensive. You put that on a camera and you can get some really, really stunning imagery with something that doesn't cost a lot of money.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing with 35 millimeter cameras. I mean, as long as you have a nice lens, when you're working with film cameras, you don't need the body of the camera. All it does is hold the film, it doesn't really do anything else. Fair enough. So you don't need a fancy camera, you just need nice lenses.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. I'm curious what film you shoot with. I I was a huge fan of, of Kodak, but I know. Um, different people have different preferences what's yours
1: so yeah i'm a huge fan, fan of kodak as well i use the portrait 160 a lot because i live here in california and it's very sunny
0: oh yeah it
1: works well for that
0: definitely jealous of that weather out there
1: <laughs> and well but lately we've had very gloomy weather and so i've noticed my 160 wasn't performing very well oh okay um, and so I, I've i added a lot more 400. So whenever the weather is gloomy or maybe my lighting situation is less ideal, I'll go with the Portrait 400. But any kind of bright, sunny environment, beaches, I really like the 160. But with that being said, I'm not stuck to, and I know a lot of people will be like, oh, I'm Fuji 400 all the way or really stuck to one film. I I don't. My fridge is full of all different films. And the reason for that is I think I really base my film choice on my couple and my environment. So if I'm going to be shooting different skin tones, I'm going to pick the right film to match the skin tone.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: And then also, you know, environment. So like I said, 160 is beautiful on the beach, but I also, I live here in wine country in Temecula. And so Fuji looks beautiful when the vines are in full bloom and yeah. you've got all the greenery. Yeah. So I, I really feel like you need to pick your film based on your environment and your couple.
0: I love that, yeah, it, keeping open mind it's, it 's the idea of being um, i guess kind of black and white all or nothing going to the extreme isn 't necessarily helpful in life, encouraging nuance at least in, in many, if not most cases is is smart, and I love that you keep that open mind and actually customize it for for the client I think that 's a really great point of reference for our listeners. Talk to us a little about the the workflow aspect of working with film or being a hybrid shooter. How does it affect time management? Does it add a lot more work to the process than if you were only shooting digital?
1: Actually, for me, it's made my workload a lot less, which is something that I love about film photography because I just mail that film off and it comes back beautiful and, <laughs> and I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't have to worry a lot about editing and post-processing. And of course, when I'm doing hybrid and I have to match the digital to the film, it's a little more complicated. But really, it helps me because I feel like before when I just try and edit my digital, I'd have to think back to the moment. and was like, well, was that a cream dress or a white dress? And did it have any kind of nude underlay? And what did it look like? Or was the suit really gray? Or was it kind of blue gray? And you're trying to get your edits to match, right? So true. Yeah. Um, and so when I have the film scans, they're pretty true to life. And so I can look at those and then digitally match them pretty easily. So it's a great starting off point and it takes away all that guesswork. So for me, it's really cut down on the post process.
0: And I noticed in your stories, uh, I was looking earlier, you were using a particular company for that matching process. Is it a company that produces a Lightroom preset that matches the film stock you're shooting or what was that?
1: Yeah, it's called One Click and it's very, it's not in the preset part of your Lightroom module. It's over under the Adobe Color. And it you just pick your film that you use. So if you use Portrait 160, and then you pick your scanner, whether you used um, nurutsu or the Frontier, and then it matches it. And it's seriously one click. That's it. And you're done. And it's the most amazing thing. So as long as you got your exposure right, and you nailed everything you should have in camera, you're one click and you're done.
0: Wow. Okay, we'll link to that in the show notes for those of you who are curious. That sounds incredible. <laughs> Anything yeah. to simplify your workflow—that's that's really awesome. And I, to your point about being able to just send film off and and get it back and you're done—I I do remember those days. And oh, how simple it was! Literally, as you say, just to go. In, in my case, we actually had a, a local lab that we worked with for quite a while. We'd just go drop the the film off at the lab and go back and pick up the prints. And of course, you'd have to cull through the the prints that you got, and then you put the those proofs in, in a book for the clients but it was it was such a simple workflow in comparison to the digital workflow we deal with now
1: yeah i definitely have a column and things like that but for the most part it just simplifies it so much
0: huh well talk to us a little bit more about the workflow from wedding to delivery like what break that down if you don't mind just for our listeners who are curious about this film workflow what does that look like
1: so basically, after I shoot a wedding, I the first thing I'm going to do is mail that film off because I need to get it in as soon as possible because I don't want my turnaround times to be forever for my clients. Yeah, yeah. And I personally use FedEx. I've had some sketchy experiences otherwise, so I use them because I can track them and I can see it the whole way, and it, it they've never lost my film, which is a great thing. And then. Once it's delivered, I get an email from my lab that says, hey, the film's arrived, and this is the date it'll be ready. And then I put that date on my calendar so that I know that's the day when it comes back I'm going to be able to sit down and, and spend time film matching and making sure I have that time available that day. And then, yeah, it comes back to me in an email through WeTransfer. I open that file up, and then I add it to my Lightroom. I call them. I put them next to my digitals, and I do my film matching, and then I up. Load to my gallery and and deliver it to my clients and usually I'll do a blog post before I deliver and then deliver but kind of depends on how excited the clients are to get it if they want it before I can get to a blog post (laughs) or not
0: right how but how long is that process like does that take two or three weeks or shorter longer
1: so it depends on how busy it is. So if it's okay. high wedding season, my lab is busy. So their turnaround time is slower. Right. So it kind of depends. But anywhere between four to six weeks is what I quote my couples.
0: Okay. And that's, that's not bad. And and if you have, I mean, I guess if you still have, if you're shooting hybrid, you still have a digital file or files that you can pull from, you could even do a Do you do a sneak peek ahead of time from those files?
1: I do. I tell them, like, in the next 48 hours, I'm going to put something on Instagram stories for you. And the reason I do stories is because I worry I want to make sure it's going to look like the film later. (laughs) So I don't want to post it to my actual feed just in case it's not quite how I want it. Yeah. Uh, So I'll do a little sneak peek 48 hours out. Um, I use that Unfold app and just put a few photos in there and tag the couple and the vendor team and say thank you to everyone. So that's a great way to kind of get them excited.
0: And the Unfold app, is that like a planning app for social media?
1: So it's a app that I use on Instagram stories. And it, it has like where you can drop your photos in to make little collages. And then you can add captions like congratulations to the cool. couple or thank the vendor team or whatever.
0: Awesome. That's great. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. For those of you who are curious and listening in, let's, let's make this really practical and tangible for our listeners. I'd love for you to share a few steps that you would suggest our listeners take if they want to begin to incorporate film in their workflow, in their business, whether they're shooting wedding photography or or doing portraits or otherwise, um, what are some steps that they can take to begin to incorporate that into their business?
1: Yeah. So I think the first thing like obvious is just start shooting film. And like I said before, when I first decided to start shooting film again, it was not for my business. It was just for myself. I wanted, I felt creatively, I needed to push myself and I wanted to try something new. And so I just started bringing my little film camera with me on family outings and taking photos. And then I realized how much I loved it. And I started to try and incorporate it into my business. And before doing that, I went ahead and I took a workshop that was a film workshop. Hmm, Okay. And I shot that film workshop 100% film. I didn't even bring my digital camera and I was completely nervous. I barely knew how to roll the 120 film at this point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, can, it really can be a process too, especially depending on the camera.
1: Right. So I felt so nervous that I showed up at this you know, workshop to shoot all this, these beautiful things with no digital camera, but I really wanted to push myself and make myself focus on learning film. And I think that was the quickest and best way to kind of do that and jump all the way in.
0: Yeah, just go. All, why not? Right. Like jump and build your wings on the way down. I think I think that's great, especially in the context of of a workshop where it is safe to do that. And, and then you could just focus on the one thing versus trying to multitask uh, with the different formats. When you when you started shooting, was that with that that Canon Rebel that you were shooting with again? Or did you go ahead and buy the medium format at that point?
1: Yeah, so I brought the Canon Rebel to the workshop. And then I was fortunate enough that there were so many just amazing other photographers there that were just so helpful and excited to get me to learn film that they let me borrow their 120 cameras. And just I played with a lot of different ones that also helped me pick the cameras. So it was great because I got to play with a lot of different cameras and learn from a lot of different people. And everyone there had different film stocks. And so I came back from that with just numerous different images from different cameras and film stocks and kind of was able to hone in what I liked.
0: And I, you know, the, the thing about film cameras, I noticed this, I looked it up not very long ago, the camera that I started with the Nikon F100. Um, when I bought it was something like $1,100 and I think you can get one in really great shape now for like 200 bucks. Oh yeah. Um, so for those who are curious, want to get started in film photography, it, it's these cameras are are pretty widely available online. KEH is a resource that I've used quite a bit over the years uh, as a photographer. And it's literally just KEH.com. We'll link to it in the show notes as well. But you can go there and look up cameras, know what kind of condition that they're in and start off at a with a relatively small budget. You can get a, a good camera. Um, and, and like Heather was saying, of course the glass is ultimately where it's really at. But it'll give you an opportunity to be able to get into this medium without spending a whole lot of money. So I, I think that's, that's really, really great. Again, we'll link to KEH in the show notes. And, of course, you can search on eBay and so forth. But um, go ahead and grab a camera and just start shooting. I know that the, the camera, that, the Yashica, the medium format camera that I have, uh, for those of you who are curious, might want to experiment with something that looks a little bit different, kind of old school Um, I think you probably get one of those for like a hundred bucks on eBay too. So very, very easily accessible. Take us to another step if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, so then after the workshop, I felt like, hey, I wanted to keep playing with it before I rolled it out to my clients. And so for myself, I just planned a few style shoots and kind of personal projects and played with it. I think it's really important to make sure you know what you're doing before you offer it to your clients, obviously. So the thing is just to dive in and shoot as much film as you can and just get really comfortable with it. So that's kind of what I did. I started with family, then I did a workshop, and then I did a lot of styled shoots and personal projects. And when I felt comfortable after a couple of months, I went ahead and started adding without telling my clients. I just added like a couple rolls of film in their engagement session to see what it would look like. And then I noticed that clients were drawn to those photos. Those are the ones they were printing and the ones that they liked. Huh. And so I just started adding more and more film. And now I shoot my engagements 100% film. And then, like I said, the weddings, it depends on what package they choose.
0: When you talk about your clients noticing or picking those images, liking the images that were shot with film, you know, my assumption, and of course I alluded to it earlier, is that most clients can't, they don't notice those nuanced differences. But I'm curious what you think your clients were noticing and like maybe what they were even commenting on uh, about that film photography.
1: Yeah, I think it's the, I think it was just like I said, I slowed down for those. you know i I would put in the roles that the last couple you know, a roll of 120 has sixteen frames on it, so maybe like the last 16 frames of their session I would do on film, but they were so much more thought out. Mm. and I think that's what they noticed.
0: Huh, that's interesting. Okay. So, I mean, for those who are shooting digitally, haven't tapped into the film side of things yet, they, I mean, just the simple idea of taking more time with their imagery would probably translate to even their digital images as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, my digital that I take when I do shoot hybrid the digitals I take are so much less than I used to. Hmm. I just, I mean, I can leave one card in for a whole wedding now where I used to have to have multiple cards. And I feel like it's just because I'm shooting my digital the way I shoot film now.
0: That's really interesting. Wow. That, that would be really interesting to to do some type of a, maybe a study of some kind, or at least a survey to see how that does affect photographers tendencies to shoot. Cause it really is so easy to just hold that button down. And now you have 10 images of a scene that really only needed maybe two or three and then you've just created more work for yourself after the fact, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
0: yeah, that, that's so that, that's really telling. I mean, I know photographers are shooting um, you know, three, two, three thousand images at a wedding easy these days, and then delivering 1,100, 1,200 images. Oh, it seems like in, in many cases. How many do you normally deliver to your clients even if it's a hybrid situation?
1: So I tell them it's about 75 images per hour.
0: Wow, okay, and so then the average wedding that you're shooting is what eight hours, six, eight hours?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Huh. You have a six-hour and an eight-hour in a package. And then a lot of people will add like to get 10 hours if they need it.
0: Hmm. Wow. So that translates, I guess, to about 600 images or so. And, you know, that, that seems like a really, really great number. I, I feel like photographers are, are delivering so much to the clients that one, they may even be overwhelmed. But two, it doesn't really encourage the notion. I mean, it, if style is so important and photographers are spending so much time on not only their photographic technique, but their editing style, Why would you want to deliver so many images that it takes away from the client's ability to be able to actually enjoy the really great images that they could deliver? You know, why not deliver the best of the best?
1: Yeah, I think that they appreciate it. I mean, in a world where people think you know more is better, a lot of the times, I think at the end of the day, when they get a gallery of 1,200 images, just to even look through those and then to go through and pick your favorites, that's very overwhelming. And I think the clients appreciate whether they know it going in or not. Like going in, they might think, well, I want as many images as I can have. Right. right. But at the end of the day, I think they really appreciate having a gallery that's really refined and just the very best images that are going to speak to them. And I do notice that in my album making because I always tell my clients, you know, pick 75 to hundred of your favorite images to make the album. And when I had bigger galleries, when I was shooting all digital, it would take them months to get back to me. Interesting. (laughs) But now I feel like they get right back to me and I think it's because they have less to choose from and it's not as overwhelming and they quickly can pick out their favorites.
0: (laughs) Hmm. Well, I think that's a great piece of advice to, to leave our listeners with. And again, for those of you listening in, if you do want to get started, Heather just shared some some ideas, practical, tangible ways that you can get started. Start shooting, first of all. Get a film camera. Start shooting. It's not that expensive to get get going. Would you recommend, by the way, Heather, the, the lab that you're using? Can we, can we put their name out there for those who want to find somewhere that they can send their film?
1: Yeah, I use the Fine Lab.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, we'll link to them in the show notes for those of you who are curious. But first of all, start shooting. And ideally, if you can go take a workshop or two so you can really learn this, this art form, this process of shooting film, what that might mean. And uh, as you pointed out, Heather, it's such a great opportunity to be able to see or actually experience what it's like to shoot with different cameras and potentially use different film stock, but taking workshops great. And and then begin shooting for fun, you know, photographing family photographing friends, experimenting around the house. I I think that would be a lot of fun. In fact, I would love to pull my camera back out now and, and put some film in it and start, start shooting. But
1: right, we need to remember the joy in shooting and why we started doing all this and not just, you know, just for work, but have fun with it. And I think pulling out that film camera and learning a new technique, whether you're going to add it to your business or not, could be a lot of fun. And like I said, I love to be a service, so people can feel free to DM me or reach out to me, email me. I'd be happy to answer any film questions they have. And I do offer workshops and mentorships based on film. So if people are interested, they can hit me up for any of those kind of questions.
0: Okay, cool. And will you just share with our listeners one more time where they can find you online so that they can reach out?
1: Um, Heather Anderson photo.com is my website. And then my Instagram is Heather Anderson photography. And that's the same for my Facebook. So and I answer DMs pretty easily on Instagram, and I'm pretty good at getting back to emails as well.
0: Awesome. Cool. We'll put all of that in the show notes. And uh, thank you again, Heather, just so much for making time to, to share with our listeners and be here on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It was so much fun talking to you.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Boca Podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com.